0: All right, part number 2 of our series, brief series on heaven. This one is called Citizens of Heaven. So once we've begun to learn about what does the Bible have to say about heaven, now we're going to find out what does it mean to be people who live in and dwell in that heaven. What does it mean to be citizens of heaven? And is that only a future thing or is that a here and now thing as well? Got it? Oh gosh. So, have you ever been to Disneyland? Disneyland, they call it the happiest place on earth, right? That's what they call it. Um, And you go to Disneyland, and I don't know about you if you've experienced this when you go to Disneyland, but something about it is quite magical. Right, you walk in the gates, and there's just more flowers that you can than you can wrap your mind around and somehow they made Mickey Mouse's face out of flowers, and you're like, "What is going on and then you maybe go and you start wandering around Disneyland, and things are just magical about it the way like rides are set up, and the way that like there's like different lands that you can go through, and one second you're like in an old town kind of place and the next you're like in a jungle and you're like what just happened right and then there's like main street and it's like a it's like a city street and there's like horse drawn carriages everywhere and then there's parades that just go out erupt out of nowhere and there's like magical food going on all over the place right Disneyland the happiest place on earth and now some say that what creates magic Is that magic goes beyond our ability to explain it. Does that make sense? Something about magic is mysterious and beyond our comprehension. Right? So, when you go to Disneyland and there's stuff happening that you can't explain how it happened, that makes it magical. Although there might not really be any hocus pocus to it, there's something magical happening because you can't comprehend it. And what we're going to see is like, as you go wandering your way around Disneyland as some kind of pilgrim, guided by some kind of map, making these little plans about how you're going to use your FastPass or not use your Fast Pass, and you see the scenery, and you see the sights, and you smell the smells, and you enjoy the thrill of the rides how that might relate to what we're experiencing here and now on this earth. And it's like Disneyland, like you you go through and then all of a sudden you wind up in Tomorrowland, right? Tomorrowland. And I can imagine that probably 30 years ago Tomorrowland was even more magical than it is today. Cuz maybe we've gone there a bunch and maybe we experience everything there is to experience about Tomorrowland. And Space Mountain, while it's fun, just isn't quite what it was before. But I can imagine that during the 80s, when we were during the space exploration era, when people went to Tomorrowland, they didn't know what space was really like but they could get a small taste of what space was like by going on star tours in Space Mountain, and they could get these little glimpses of what space would actually be like as they're in Tomorrowland, and it's magical, and it's mesmerizing, and it draws you in, and you want more of it, and you're lost into the story that Tomorrowland is telling. Does that make sense? So I want to say that maybe, possibly, our experience that we experience at Disneyland is a small shadow of an example of what we experience on this earth in relation to heaven. So let's begin in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew chapter 6. All right, it's the first book of the New Testament. It's the second chapter, no, it's the sixth chapter. Of the first book of the New Testament, but it is the second chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, which spans three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, and the Lord Jesus says this as He's going on. If you notice, if your words of Jesus are in red in your Bible, you'll notice three full chapters of Him just going off about saying this is what My Kingdom is like. And some, in fact, some would say it's His Kingdom Manifesto. So that when you read these three chapters, you get the fullest sense of what it means to live in his kingdom. And he talks about what it means to be blessed, what it means to be salt and light, what it means uh, that, like how we deal with anger and how we deal with love and divorce and oaths and retaliation, and how this kingdom is marked by loving your enemies. And he talks about being giving. And not giving out loud so that people can see, but giving so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Does that make sense? And then finally, he comes to this place about prayer. And this is what he has to say about prayer. And this is where we find that prayer called the Lord's Prayer that people often like repeat. And what he's saying is that this is a model prayer for God's kingdom what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And this prayer is intimately related to what it means to live in the kingdom and to be a participant in the kingdom and a citizen of this kingdom. And when we talk about heaven, and that's what we're doing these couple weeks, we can't separate the idea of heaven from the idea of God's kingdom because in Jesus' mind, they were linked together, were like peanut butter and jelly, you know what I mean? He, he called it the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus thinks of going to heaven to be with his father, when he says, hey, look, I'm leaving you, I'm going to prepare a place, I'm going to be with my father, right? He's talking about going to heaven, but he's talking about going to the kingdom, right? And then eventually, as we were talking about last week, he goes to be with the father where the father is right now but then the father comes here and jesus comes here and jesus rips into our reality so this is what he says about prayer and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others truly i say to you that they have received the reward in full but Don't think you need some magical incantation and you need to pray the right words in order order for your Father in Heaven to hear you. He already knows what you need before you pray it. He kind of just wants to hear from you and He wants to connect with you. Pray then like this, Jesus says. This is His model, Kingdom of Heaven prayer. Our Father in Heaven. Where's God? In Heaven. And let's address Him as such. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come where to earth, and your will be done, which are the same exact things. If God is the king on the throne of the kingdom, and he were to come, what that would look like on this earth is his will being done on this earth. So when Jesus prays, your kingdom come and your will be done, that's like repeating the same thing in different ways. Where God's will is done, that's where the kingdom of God is happening. And we want your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus' prayer on earth as it is in heaven, that earth would be heavenly. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. And I'll say something about that in a second. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. What is heaven like? Complete, utter forgiveness everywhere, free for all, everything's been taken care of. There's no debts that are owed to anyone. So there's no weird, awkward exchanges between people where it's like, you owe me something because that one time when, and then I still haven't forgiven you. And so, right? There's no recollection of the former things in that sense in heaven, it would seem to be. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In heaven, there is no temptation, there is no evil. On this earth, there is temptation and evil. So in order for earth to be heavenly, he says, lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from, us, from it. And heaven looks like the absence of evil. So if earth is becoming heavenly, and Jesus is praying a prayer like this, these are, these are the things that he is indicating about the kingdom of heaven that he wants to characterize the earth. Like I was saying, he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somehow it seems that there's the ability to connect what is happening in heaven with what is happening on this earth. And there are different ways to connect those two things. And one that we see right here is simply by praying. Praying is a way to connect heaven and earth. And what, when we ask for things in Jesus' name, or as Jesus would have them be, then we're asking for heaven things on earth Sometimes our prayers are more to get earth things happening in heaven. Does that make sense? We come from our earthly perspective, and we probably can't help it. It's just the way that we come up in this world. And we're praying to heaven, saying, God, make all these things happen on an earthly scale. And he's saying, hang on a second, don't you see? My plan is much bigger than making your little agendas happen on earth. And sometimes God will respond to those things, and sometimes he says no to those things. And we're wondering why God is saying no, or oh my gosh, you're not listening to me, God. Maybe we need to pray more along the lines of how Jesus taught us to pray, and in Jesus' name, or the things that Jesus would have happen on this earth, which is earth becoming heavenly, heavenly. So it's not about getting our wills accomplished on heaven. It's about getting heaven's will accomplished on earth. Does that make sense? And it says, give us today our daily bread, right? Or as some people have translated it, uh, specifically the early church fathers, uh, they said it was better translated like this. Give us today tomorrow's bread isn't that kind of weird give us today tomorrow's bread and I think of like Israel in the desert and they're like if God were not sustaining Israel in the desert with manna every day they would not be living in the desert and manna was a bread that was sent from heaven To sustain the life that was happening on earth. And it was a taste and a glimpse of heaven. It was a taste and a glimpse of a future reality. The manna that they ate on the earth in the desert every day. It was their daily bread and it sustained them. But it was heaven's bread. So I can imagine that when we get to heaven, there's going to be manna all around. And there's going to be lots of other food that is not just manna, but the manna that they ate then is tomorrow's bread. So Jesus teaches them to pray, give us tomorrow's bread today. Let us taste tomorrow right now. And although we're not getting the full onslaught experience of heaven hit me in the face, we're getting the small glimpse of what tomorrow is going to be like. And as the Israelites were pilgrimaging through the desert, headed toward the promised land, the land of Canaan, which, by the way, represents our inheritance. And our inheritance, this land of Canaan, was just a small shadow of a future reality that is heaven the eternal state, eternity with God. So their little wandering around the desert and experiencing stuff that would make them suffer and grumble. When they experienced this and they grumbled to God, God supplied their needs, but not in full, just enough to whet their appetite. Does that make sense? He gave them bread He gave them tomorrow's bread today, but only enough for today. Don't be gradient. Take tomorrow's bread and today's bread. Does that make sense? Just what you need right now. Because I'm going to keep you alive, but I want to show you through your suffering that this earth and this time and the way things are right now where life hurts and you're asking questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do bad people seem to prevail and have power and might and strength and money and why do god's people who are doing good and playing by the rules and like living the good life why do they seem to suffer and you're like this isn't fair exactly right and when he gives you just enough bread to get you through that day he points you to a future greater reality And when you say, God, why didn't you answer my prayer exactly how I wanted you to answer it, where you fix everything and nothing is wrong ever again? Because that option is not available on this earth. That option is only available in heaven. Give us tomorrow's bread today. Bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, make earth heavenly. Make earth where God's will is done, where God is in charge. And that's where we get this whole thing of like, now but not yet. You've tasted it, but you haven't fully lived it. You've tasted tomorrow's bread today, and that's just enough to tell you to keep moving forward. And you get these little itty bitty glimpses of heaven that God has specifically designed to put into your life to say this is what the kingdom of God is like. And if you keep moving forward and if you keep relying on him for your daily bread and if you keep forgiving people just as you are forgiven and if you keep asking God your will on earth not my will in heaven which you're going to eventually run into someday someday heaven itself and what you were created for and what your whole soul has been longing for all these days paraphrasing C.S. Lewis but he says he says it like this like eternity is in the heart of man so if I find that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy my soul it indicates to me that my soul was not made for this world So what we need is tomorrow's bread today, here on this earth, as it is in heaven. And we need to grab onto these small glimpses to feed our faith in the kingdom of heaven, which we see by faith and not by sight. But there is coming a day, he says, when our faith shall become our sight. in the things that we've only hoped for, our hope will be fulfilled and satisfied. And deliverance will come and we'll be set free from these bondages. So, Philippians 3. Turn there. It's on page 981 in my Bible. It probably doesn't help any of you but I just wanted to let you know. Philippians 3, verse 17. Got it? And it says this. This is the very end. We're going to read all the way to the end of chapter 3, which ends at verse 21. Paul says this while he's in prison living his own personal experience of suffering right where he is longing for just a taste and a glimpse of tomorrow's bread today he is longing for a glimpse of heaven and the lord has shown him just enough that he can get that magical sense that there's something ahead of the curve that I'm made for, that I'm longing for, that I'm hoping for. And that's what keeps me going today when I'm stuck in a prison and I'm living a personal hell on earth. And that's why Paul can sing in heaven. And because Paul's singing in heaven, Paul's singing on earth. He's connecting. And see, not only is prayer a way that we can connect heaven and earth, And not only is God revealing himself a way to connect heaven and earth, like he showed up as Jesus, he showed up as a burning bush to Moses, he showed up as an ark. Not only are those ways to connect heaven and earth, but what we'll find out here is that we are ways to connect heaven and earth. So he says this, verse 17. Brothers, join In imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Or in other words, keep your eye on those who walk in the Spirit. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk, not in the Spirit, but walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory, whatever glory they think they receive on this earth, their glory is actually their shame. And with minds set on earthly things. So there are people who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And they live on earth, not as it is in heaven, but on earth as it is in earth as if this is all there ever will be to life. So live it up now and pursue your pleasures, because there's nothing more after you die. There are people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And now here's the thing. As we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Those who oppose the cross of Christ, as he calls enemies of the cross of Christ, This indicates to us that there are people and places on this earth where God's will is not being done on this earth as it is in heaven. Can you see that happening? There are things on this earth that are not pleasing to God, that are not His will, that are contrary to to His will. And you're like, I thought everything that happens is the will of God. Well... Ultimately, and ultimately, he uses everything for his purposes. However, during this time, he has allowed people and spiritual beings to do things that are contrary to his will. So there are things that happen on this earth that are not God's will. Does that make sense? Like war happening all over the place, not God's will. Like famine happening all over the place, like people not having water. These things are not God's will. Like families being torn apart, not God's will. Like murder happening, not God's will. Like young ladies being sold into sex trafficking, not God's will. There are forces that oppose the will of God on this earth, and where that is happening, that is not where heaven is happening. So are you saying that heaven is not going to happen over the whole earth? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying right now. Here, let me clarify. Right now because the kingdom of God is that whole like now and not yet. There are places on this earth where God's will is happening. And that is heaven, or that is a glimpse or foretaste of heaven. Yet there are other places on this earth where God's will is not happening, and it seems to be in conflict. They seem to be in conflict with each other. So where God's will is happening, that's a taste of heaven. Where God's will is not happening, you could say that's a taste of hell. And these forces come into combat with one another. So the kingdom of God is now and it's here and it's happening some places in small glimpses but not yet as in not everywhere completely covering the face of the earth but eventually in the eternal state it will cover the face of the earth and it says in Joel that God's glory will cover the earth just as the water covers the ocean. So at some point in time Death is going to be done away with. Sin will completely be eradicated. Although it was conquered on the cross, it will be eliminated from this world. Death and decay, the curse will be reversed. And it will be the new heavens and the new earth. And God will make everything a new creation. He says right now, you're a new creation, start living like it. But at some point, he's going to make everything into a new creation. The new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, And you, new creations, living on this earth in resurrected bodies just like his. And we're going to read about that here right now. He says this. And he's contrasting the two, talking about those people Their God is their belly and they're just doing whatever they want, whenever they want. The contrast is this. Though you live on this earth, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, meaning from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're awaiting right now, as citizens of heaven, we're waiting for Jesus Christ to come from heaven to earth. The second coming. He's already come from heaven to earth once. And we're awaiting the second coming, where he comes as Savior. And he will transform our lowly or our earthly bodies, he will take these bodies that we have right now that die at some point in time, and it says he will transform them to be like his glorious body. So this body is going to become something else. The Bible calls this the resurrection. So just as Jesus' body was taken out of the tomb, it was resurrected, it was turned into a glorious body, and he walked on the earth, With his glorious body. Before he went back to heaven. It says you too. Are going to have your body. Transformed from a lowly. Earthly body that dies in 80 or so years. And you're going to have that transformed. Into an eternal glorious body. That can likewise walk on the earth. And do things and talk with people. And eat stuff and wear robes. And This is going to be our future. Just as it is Jesus' future. And the way that he went. We're also going to go. And this by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Point is, God's in charge. He was the first fruits. We're following in his footsteps. He was the prototype. We're the next types. He came to earth with an earthly, lowly body that was transformed, resurrected into a heavenly body. And he connected heaven and earth with his coming and with the way that he lived on this earth, with the way that he prayed on this earth, with the way that he walked around talking with the Father saying, okay, God, your will, your will on this earth, your will happening. Now imagine if there's lots of people walking around praying things like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that happening more and more all over the face of the earth. Till at some point Jesus rips in, comes, tears the sky open and says, Hey, look at everything you've been laboring toward this whole time as citizens of heaven who live on earth, as connectors of heaven and earth, I am now going to come up with you and I'm going to be your advocate and i am going to strengthen you for this battle in this darkness fighting this light it's going to be no more because the light is going to conquer the darkness eternally like he says earlier in that sermon on the mountain chapter five he goes you are the light of the world you are i mean jesus is the light of the world he says that but right now you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth because you are here whether you feel like it or not even though you're living this life that seems lackluster where you're not getting the praises of men for praying all loud on the street corners you are bringing the magic to this earth and i don't want to want that to sound weird but i just mean you're bringing the things that go beyond explanation to this earth It's like you're living tomorrow lands. Does that make sense? You're giving people a taste by the way you live, not by your might, not by your strength, but by the power of the Spirit. You are giving people a taste, a glimpse, a foreshadowing of heaven. This is what heaven is going to be. And that's why it's important for us to live by the Spirit and not the flesh. That's why it's important for us not to make our bellies into our gods and be bowing down to idols and be doing all these things. That's why it's important for us to live by the Spirit. Because that's what the future holds, is God's Spirit covering the earth. And if we're prequels to that, if we're foreshadowing glimpses of that, if we are tomorrow's bread today. Then people in the world are dependent on us to actually legitimately live it out. And that's why Jesus says like, hey, you don't put a light under a bowl that it drowns up. You don't hide it. Okay, listen, church, don't go into hiding. Because you're afraid of the dark. Everybody's afraid of the dark. Get over it. You're the light. Because where you go, the dark becomes light. And as you walk on this earth, listen, you're salt. And salt can't lose its saltiness. Otherwise, it's no longer bringing out the God flavors of the earth. And that's why you're here right now not to have all your wishes fulfilled like Jesus is Santa Claus. But you are here as a forerunner and as a beckoner of heaven, calling heaven, calling Jesus here as it is in heaven. The king here as he is in heaven on the throne now, That's why he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, listen, if you heard everything that I just said and you live it out or you put it into practice, you're a wise man, built his house on the rocks, which building it on the rock is hard. If you hear these words and you don't do it, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And nobody's going to believe you when you talk about heaven if you don't live like citizens of heaven. We're connectors. See, I just went to Peru at the beginning of this year, right? And I was a an American citizen in Peru. And I was around Peruvian citizens as I was walking in this place. And and I went there with like plans of like how I was going to oh I, I need to bring okay, this mini Medications, like what if I get sick and then I got to bring this kind of adapter for my charger and all this stuff and I got to plan like how am I going to eat all this food and, uh, and where am I going to sleep and I'm making plans of like what's going to happen when I go to Peru because in my head I had some precognition of what it was going to be like there. But what happens is you go to Peru and all of a sudden you get lost in the culture, so to speak. Like in a good way. Right? And then, people, even non-Spanish speakers, by the end of a couple weeks, they're speaking a lot of Spanish. Right? And then, if you're there long enough, you start like thinking in Spanish. And when you start to get thirsty, right, they had this... This stuff there that they don't, well, they kind of do sell this, a weird version of it here, but it's not the same. It's called Inca Cola, right? And it's a yellow soda that tastes like bubblegum and heaven. And when you're in Peru and you get thirsty, man, you get thirsty for some Inca Cola. Does that make sense? And you want their things that satisfy your thirst. And you get hungry, and you get hungry for like Peruvian dishes. And I could still taste the ceviche that we had at the beach. It was the best dang thing I've ever had. And you're like, oh, this is like a moment of heaven touching earth. It was profound. Anyway, you come back to America, which we did after a couple of weeks. Come back to America, and you recall... Peru. And I remember going up, like like we, we came back into flew into LAX and we were going back through like customs and security and all this stuff. And as we're like, you know, uh giving our passports to the people at customs, because I'd been so accustomed and I didn't even think about it, I just lost myself in the culture of Peru, when I walked up to the person at the booth in LAX, to hand them my passport. I greeted them in Spanish. <laughs> right? Because that's where I'd been living for two weeks. Which doesn't seem like a long time. But it kind of is. And it's like this immersive thing. Right? And and then it like clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, they speak English, right? And then when we got on the bus to like drive back to the church I got thirsty for some Inca Cola now luckily I had like uh, smuggled some onto the plane and I had some Inca Cola in my backpack so I could quench my thirst but however think about this when I came back to America I was thinking in a Peruvian way and this is what it means I think to be citizens of heaven Because we've tasted tomorrow's bread today and we've had a glimpse of heaven. Not the full thing, but a glimpse. We keep praying for tomorrow's bread today. We keep praying for God to sustain us. We keep praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we think in a heavenly way about earthly things. And we live in a heavenly way in an earthly culture. And we kind of don't fit in a little bit. And we kind of might go against the grain a little bit. And people might not like us a little bit. But it's okay, because Jesus says, hey, listen, blessed are you, and I'm paraphrasing, blessed are you when people don't like you because of me. Because you are living like you're from heaven. Because you've tasted tomorrow's bread today. Because you are living that reality right now. Because it's now, but it's also not yet. So you're like beckoning the future to come to you. You're beckoning Jesus like, come back. Come back, we want you back. That's what it is. And do you remember the Chronicles of Narnia? Remember the last one called The Last Battle? And there's a horse called Jewel. Anyway, Jewel from the last battle says this when Jewel experiences the new Narnia Jewel says I have come home at last this is my real country I belong here this is the land I've been looking for all my life though I never knew it till now Come further up, come further in. Jewel says, there's been an ache in my heart this whole time, and I didn't even know it, but I've been aching for heaven. Like I can feel it in my bones. Like you know it, spirit knows it, creation knows it. It says creation is groaning for the redemption of the sons and daughters. Everything that God created is waiting for Jesus to come back. And we have a home where we belong and there's no weirdness, awkwardness. Like, I don't fit in here. Uh, I got to behave a certain way so that people will accept me. There's none of that. There's just... We reach heaven's shore and we're like, Oh my gosh, this is everything that I hurt for on earth. Everything that hurt me on earth, this is the satisfaction of that hurt. And I've been wanting it all along and not even knowing it and trying to fulfill it with like earthly pleasures and the the affirmation of people. But I was made for this. I was made for heaven. And when we get to eternity's shore... We're just going to be blown away. So satisfied to the depths of our being that we're not going to know what to do. And we just go, oh man, I see this. Further up, further in. I just want to go explore this country. It kind of looks like earth, but it's a little bit different. I recognize that stuff, but it's even better. It's like there's more colors and dimensions and it smells better. Amen. All right, Lord, we pray that we would be true, honest citizens of heaven, that we would live here longing for the future, longing for tomorrow's bread today. Uh, God, strengthen us. God, we know we need it. God, build us up. Fill us afresh and anew. And God, sustain us. And God, forgive us. And we forgive people. Teach us how to not hold things against people. And teach us how to grow up into the maturity of your son. And God, keep showing us glimpses and tastes of heaven and what our soul is longing for. So that we can just keep going. In Jesus' name, amen.